Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And today we are going to be talking uh, with somebody that I have found to be absolutely fascinating. I had the great opportunity to speak with her uh, at a uh, Conscious Capitalism webinar um, well, about a month and a half ago, I think it was, not too long ago. And I was absolutely struck by you know, what she's up to. And I invited her to join us on the podcast, uh, Joanna Lyman. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who she is as we start moving into this. But before I introduce Joanna, um, I want to uh, just take a moment here for new listeners to kind of cast the net of context around what we're doing so that you've got a frame of reference as we have this conversation. Um, the podcast is called The Soul of Business <clears throat> for a reason. And part of that reason is uh, predicated on the way that uh, Carl Jung, the philosopher, uh, defined the soul when he asked to talk about what he thought it was. And the way that Jung uh, spoke about the soul, he said it's that piece of anything, and he literally meant anything, um, that gives voice to the need, to the desire to be more, to, uh, to grow more, to have more, to do more, to, you know, to just to come out, to come out. And in my experience in uh, working with businesses around the world uh, for literally almost 40 years now, it's been my experience that most businesses, that voice is very, very faint if it's heard at all. It's usually present when the organization is being founded and when it's starting out. Um, but over the course of the uh, organization's life, uh, life cycle, it's, there's a lot of stuff that starts stacking up on top of it. And that, that initial voice it wants to be more, to, to actually express itself more in concert with what the mission of the organization was and, and actually is, gets quashed out. And we end up being a business whose purpose is to be a business. And that is not inspiring to anybody. And data that Gallup comes out with annually around uh, employee engagement uh, speaks to that, I think, very loudly. Uh, this is a number that has not, and I talk about this a lot, it's a number that has not moved in at least 25 years that I'm familiar with. Employee disengagement around the world hovers at around 87%, which is just a travesty, and it speaks volumes about how disconnected people are from the mission, from the soul of the business that they're a part of. So <clears throat> the intent with this podcast is to shine some light on that and to begin to explore possibilities for how that voice of the soul of the business can come to life and how people can begin to connect their own soul to that, uh, that, uh, that voice itself. So that's just very generally the background of what the podcast is about. We've had some fascinating guests on here, and today is no exception. This episode, I think you are absolutely going to be delighted with. Uh, Johanna Lyman um, is the CEO and founder of an organization called Next Gen Organizations. Um, and I'm going to you know, just kind of leave it at that at this point. She's got a, a, a history, uh, a CV, if you will. <laughs> Her resume is pretty extensive, and it's very deep and it will come out in our conversation. Um, but the net of what she's up to is to help you know, fast-growing companies get to their next level of success. Um, and that's an important point that I wanna emphasize here, help fast-growing companies get to their next level of success. And it has to do with you know, how we work with culture. 
And this is where I got interested in my conversation with her in the uh, Conscious Capitalism webinar that I was doing with her. Uh, she heads up the uh, San Francisco Bay Area Conscious Capitalism uh, chapter. And um, I'll just kind of leave it at that and uh, welcome Joanna. And uh, we can start uh, our conversation. Welcome. Thank you, Blaine. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, the only real question that I have formally in the uh, podcast is one that I ask every guest. And it's very simple. You know, when you hear the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? Kind of what does it mean <laughs> for you? Just, and it's different for everybody, I'm finding. Yeah. So first of all, it evokes a feeling of pure joy inside of me because one of the things, one of the aspects of our manifesto at Next Gen Orgs is that we believe that companies have an innate intelligence and innate wisdom embedded inside of them and that it's the job of the leaders to listen to what wants to emerge and to me what they're listening for is that soul what wants to happen in this business yeah that's interesting uh so most organizations that i've worked with <clears throat> the quote unquote job of senior leadership and senior management is to identify strategically where are we going next and so what you're saying here is rather than artificially uh, kind of bringing that to the table, what I'm hearing is the job really would be one of where does the organization want to go next? And you know, what's being called for? Which may be a little uh, different than how most traditional businesses are approaching go, you know, their, their go-to-market process. So how does that work? Yeah, so, well, and the way it's traditionally done is, I think, at the root of why there's such a horrendous amount of disengagement in employees. Um, I'm working with an organization now that they, you know, from the top, they were delivered six core values. And now the team has to do something with those values that they didn't have any part of deciding on they weren't asked their input so there's why should they have ownership of them mm -hmm. so the work that that i'm doing with them that we're doing with them is to help them get ownership by meaningfully defining what do these values mean to us yeah and then what do we do with that so that i mean it, it's so rather than imposing it's an invitation to explore. Yes. Okay, and yeah. I'm struck by the word meaning here. You know, um, I, I was reading a, a newswire today uh, on my newsfeed. Uh, Reuters came out with a uh, study that was published that essentially said capitalism as it's currently executed on the planet today is seen as um, uh, something that is to be avoided. Now that's a paraphrase, mm -hmm. but I think roughly 58% of people worldwide in this survey <clears throat> said that capitalism as it's conducted today is not healthy. And what that means to me is, or where that goes to uh, for me is that meaning in a way that allows for connection is not present. And this is where we end up seeing wealth disparity. We end up seeing some of the social impact, some of the environmental impact uh, mm -hmm. that we see today. So 
I'd be interested in, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, invite a conversation of meaning that is not seen as business as usual? This is not a business as usual conversation. No, and it can't be. And I would say not only is capitalism as it's operating now not trusted, but it's deliberately exploitive. I don't believe that it is what Adam Grant, who sort of invented capitalism, had in mind at all when he talked about commerce being driven by an invisible hand. Mm-hmm. You mean Adam Smith? Adam Smith, yes, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> and a little bit more contemporary. <laughs> um, you know, that, that, what capitalism looks like today, I think Adam Smith would be rolling over in his grave. Oh, I, absolutely. You know, th- th- that whole notion of the invisible hands, I talk about it a lot in the uh, keynotes that I give and in the talks that I give. Uh, well, you know, it, Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, uh, which is where this first appears in 1776. And what most people don't know is that in, I believe it was 1759, he wrote another book called The Theory of Moral Sentiment. And it was the theory of moral sentiment that informed his notion of the invisible hands. And the theory of moral sentiment really spoke to what he was experiencing at that day and age uh, around a move towards duality. Yeah. Yeah, the separation, you know, Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am, I'm separate from. And that whole separation uh, dynamic has really uh, festered and fostered a lot of what we see today, where we experience ourselves as being separate from, we experience our businesses as being separate from. And the idea of the invisible hands is, no, everything is connected. It truly is connected. And if we're not attending to that, we've got a problem. So, um Science has has finally caught up to that too. Yeah. We can now prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are all interconnected. And so we we have to be our brothers and sisters keepers. And I think not just at home in the community that we're in, but also very much in business. I actually have a very strong belief that capitalism, the way it's operating right now, will cease to exist in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll take five, 10, 20 years, a little bit longer, but I have no doubt that it will cease to exist. It's, it's become increasingly irrelevant, exploitive, and just it's just either it's going to change or the earth is going to shake us off like a dog shakes off fleas. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely concur with that. Uh, you know, Buckminster Fuller at uh, one point in time said, rather than throwing out an existing model, build a new model that actually uh, can replace the existing one without necessarily conflict. And there's a, there's a, in, you know, just, conflict sometimes is healthy, but the idea here is, <clears throat> yeah, a new model that can absorb the old model is the one that's going to be the one that dominates. Uh, and I, and I think that's where conscious capitalism comes in. I think that's where you know, compassionate capitalism comes in as a behavioral analog to consciousness. Yes. You know, how do we behave? Do we behave compassionately? Right. Yeah. And, not, and, and compassion's got a hard edge to it. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. It, really, it, it requires courage to be compassionate, to, to honor that connection, to make a business decision that uh, you know, honors the environment. Yeah, as an example, uh, when we're looking at our manufacturing and sourcing, uh, mm-hmm. how do we do that? It's, yeah, it's important. 
Yeah, yeah. Starbucks has just recently come out with you know, a very interesting conversation about we we will be green. I mean, yeah, just looking for mm-hmm. ways that they can be environmentally conscious in everything that they do. Yeah, and it's good business. Yeah, it is good business. This is some of the stuff that Edelman you know, surveys talk about when yeah. they look at why people buy, particularly millennials. Right, and and as the younger generations gain more spending power. It's, I think that's really going to accelerate the yeah. change from what we call crony capitalism mm-hmm. to, to conscious capitalism. And the thing is, the thing that I've been, all right, my soapbox now, <laughs> the new model that absorbs the old is, is only going to work if it works better. And we have proof that conscious businesses are significantly more successful than crony capitalism businesses. Yeah. And actually, I mean, we are beginning to get that proof. Uh, And there's a scientific, you know, you mentioned that one piece, but, uh, you know, a very good friend of both of ours, Raj Sisodia, uh, who's co-author of of the book, uh, Compassionate or uh, Conscious Capitalism. Uh, Before that, he wrote a book called Firms of Endearment. Yes, and and I absolutely I love the title of that book, Firms of Endearment, um, and what he talked about, and it was basically studies that he had done <clears throat> that were looking at organizations that had, and I'm a paraphrase here, but had love, had caring, had uh, those sorts of uh, values attributes as a formal part of the way that they conducted their business, and he compared the S and P and he compared Jim Collins' as good to great companies with what he called the firms of endearment. And the firms of endearment blew them away yeah. in, in traditional business metrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the most stunning statistic that I recall is over a 15-year period, the firms of endearment beat the S&P 500 by 14 times. Yeah. Not 14%, 14 yeah. times the return of the S&P 500. Yeah. And it's not an accident. It's replicatable. Yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> But and, it requires, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. what's interesting is that the, the difference in the first year was minimal. In five years was a little bit more. So it's, it, it grows, it gets better and better. Yeah. As, and I think that has to do with trust. Yeah. Right? Spot on. I mean, there's an exponential dynamic to it. Yeah, in the leadership work I do, um, trust is one of the major foundational pieces because, I mean, all an organization is is a collection of people in relationship. Right. And trust is the foundation that relationships are built off of. And, you know, in the preamble to the, uh, the, the show, I talk about the soul getting covered up uh, in organizations. And in my experience, the soul gets covered up by the culture. Right. Uh, the existing yeah, culture is, is typically one that's uh, not examined, it's not one that's paid a whole lot of attention to, and it starts to stultify that voice. You're doing something right now with next-gen organizations that I think is just fascinating, building brave cultures. Um, I mean, when you told me about this, it was kind of like, you know, little light bulbs went off, and I sat up straight, and I'm going, ooh, that's kind of cool. And and particularly because you've got some very interesting ways that you are beginning to address that. So, why don't you talk a little bit about building brave cultures? Because I think it's absolutely crucial to this new model emerging. Yeah, thank you. Um, so brave cultures are purpose-driven, they're wildly innovative, and they're radically inclusive. So they are at the opposite end of the spectrum of the way business is being 
done right now. Now, the first thing that we have to do with companies that are curious about or interested in building a brave culture is really assess the lay of the land. Where are you right now? What's the level of trust? What's the level of engagement? How are you communicating with each other? How do you manage conflict? How do you gain commitment toward goals? Uh, like the five behaviors of a cohesive team, right? Um, and then, and then we have to really work. See, there's a underneath that is something else called mindsets, uh -huh. right? And so behaviors come from the mindsets that we carry with us. So we can't have lasting change in behaviors unless we address it at the root cause. And I've always been, whatever I do, I've always been a fan of how can we get to the root cause, solve the, prob the main problem there, and then everything else unravels on its own. Yeah, yeah that mindset and yeah, the root cause, uh, you know, how I describe something determines how I feel about it, how I experience it, and how I experience it generates my behavior. Yeah. Behavior never comes first. It's always a consequence of, you know, what we're calling mindset here because it generates the, you know, am I safe? Am I not safe? Am I included? Am I not included? Yeah, am I valued? Am I not valued? I mean, all of that is a descriptive process that comes out of the mindset structure. Right. So, yeah. So there's three pieces to this purpose driven. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make an assumption here that many people understand what that actually is when we talk about it. Uh, yeah, I think generally they do. They don't. They don't often know how to operationalize it. Mm -hmm. You know, but they do have a sense. Oh, yeah, we should have a purpose beyond profit. Right, and you know that's where you know the conversation about meaning comes in. You know, what does this mean to you? Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just being able to articulate that in a way that people can begin to see a behavioral match. Okay. Yes. This is what this means. And this is how that would look in behavior. I'm interested here also in the, the other two pieces that you talk about, which is wildly innovative and radically inclusive. So <laughs> yeah, not innovative, ho-hum, but wildly innovative. What's wildly that about? Wildly innovative. It's, again, on the opposite end of the spectrum of how most companies operate. I mean, there. I, I live in Silicon Valley. We, we do have a lot of innovative companies, but they they innovate in predictable ways. Okay, so... <clears throat> iterative. Iteratively, right, which is fine. Nothing wrong with iterative innovation. Um, it's better than having to rework all the time, but, but there's... Um, at the root of it is from the time we're in kindergarten, we are taught that it's only okay to fail this much of the time, mm -hmm. like 30% of the time, that's a C grade, right? So yeah. if we get less than a C at work, you know, that's 70% of the time you succeed when in the real world, it's like 92% of product innovations fail, like 90% maybe higher of startups fail. Like there is no such thing as success without failure. Yeah. So we have to teach people how to actively embrace failure, learn from it and grow, grow from it and do it together as a team. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and I love that, that number 30%. Uh, it's a C grade. Unless you're a major league baseball player and you're hitting 30%, which would be a 300 average, you're likely to be in the hall of fame. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. anywhere, 
like anywhere else in the world, 30% is like, it's just, it's a unicorn. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. it's, 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 it's crazy. You know, innovation here and the way that you talk about it, you know, incrementally improving, which, you know, no, no problem with that at all, but this wildly innovative and I'm, I'm, where I'm going with this is my assessment that imagination, I mean, the true play of the imagination. Again, I, I go back to Carl Jung. Um, yeah, he said famously at one point in time, without the play of the imagination, nothing of significance ever came into being. Right. And as far as I can tell, the imagination lives at the threshold, at the gateway, at the doorway of the soul. And it's mm -hmm. imagination, when I open it up, the soul starts to speak. It's kind of, like, hey, have you thought about? Yes. And I mean, yes. so imagination is the, uh, the mechanism that unlocks the soul's voice. Yes, absolutely. We refer to it more as creativity, but it's this yep. imagination and creativity are the same thing. Now, so here's the difference between iteratively innovative and wildly innovative. Iteratively innovative might get you a 10, if you're lucky, a 20% increase in business year over year. Mm -hmm. Wildly innovative can help you 10x your business. Yep, yep. that's the quantum jump. It's, yeah. It is. It really yeah. is a quantum jump. And what's interesting about that in my experience, because I've worked with some firms that, that have actually accomplished that, um, standing in the now, looking to the future, they wouldn't have a clue how they're going to get there. But right. they land on it. I mean, and this kind of is Steve Jobs' uh, you know, whole notion of the reality distortion field. I mean, yes. you actually just start <laughs> working from, uh, behave today as if it's already here, and you, know, you, you kind of pop it to a new level. Right. But you have to have a sense of what that new here looks like. Yes. Which gets you back to the purpose. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so uh, I always use my company as an example. So our vision is to see world peace before I die. Uh -huh. And how we're going to make that happen is by our purpose, which is to get gather a critical mass of businesses operating as conscious companies, operating as forces for good. And what happens in conscious companies, the engagement level is through the roof. So people are happy at work. They don't go home and kick the dog. Yeah. You know, they're happier that they talk, Bob, I heard Bob Chapman um, speak last year and he said, you know, he asked a, a group of um, factory workers, like what's been the biggest change since moving to becoming a firm of endearment. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys said, I talk to my wife more. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? You know? Yeah. yeah. So that ripple effect, when you're nicer to people at home, they're going to ripple it out. It'll ripple into the community and eventually voila, world peace. Voila. <laughs> yeah. And, and for the listeners that don't know, Bob uh, Chapman is the CEO of a firm called Barry Weimiller. And What's interesting about his story is that uh, the company is you know, in the manufacturing space. I mean, which a lot of people, when they think of manufacturing, they kind of go, well, that's a dying market sector. <laughs> you know, we're shipping everything offshore. What, uh, what Bob has done is he's built this organization. It's over a $2 billion organization now. It's huge, about 100,000 employees. And it was like 18 million when he took it over from his father. Yeah. About so the growth trajectory is enormous. And, he, and he's done it by treating people like family by treating people like family and trusting that they know what to do, that they know how to, they actually know how to do their jobs in a, in a successful right. way. They know how to live their lives in a successful way. 
Why wouldn't we leverage that? Which kind of goes now to the full circle here. You had a third pillar on your uh, Brave, uh, Building Brave uh, Cultures uh, platform here, and that has to do with uh, radical inclusion. Yeah. I love that word, radical inclusion. Thank you. Well, it is a, a radical act these days to talk about inclusion. It really is because we're so divided as a nation. And um, one of the reasons radical inclusivity came about was because I read all the studies and the most innovative teams are the most diverse teams. Okay. And diversity from all perspectives, not just gender, not just color, but like, you know, if y'all went to Stanford, it doesn't matter how diverse you look you're all thinking like Stanford graduates, right? right? So, um, so once, I, once I saw that data, I, I said, this, it has to be one of the pillars of brave culture. So they've got to be like, but what's radically inclusive, right? So it starts with uncovering your unconscious biases and doing it together as a team, like learning how to have those really difficult conversations and, and not get triggered and, and stay in it Mm -hmm. and apologize when you screw up, which I do on a regular basis. Like I say something and I don't even realize that it's discriminatory, you know, yeah. it's ableist language, for example, and like, and just apologizing and promising to do better and staying in it. But really it's even beyond that. So we've got to look at restorative HR practices. How can we take the bias out of our hiring processes? And then even deeper than that, and this is, this is where it's like out on the skinny branches and, and gets a little scary sometimes. And I, I have strategic partners that help with this, but it's about taking a long, hard, honest look at the systems of privilege that we're all swimming in. Okay. Yeah. So one of the, back to the 30% failure, mm -hmm. one of the hallmarks, there are behaviors that give us clues that we're in a system of privilege or white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And one of those behaviors is perfectionism, right? And we are riddled with it in this country. And that keeps us from innovating. It keeps us from changing. It keeps us from, from having those difficult conversations because I don't want to say something wrong and hurt someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. right? But then we're not saying anything. And by not saying anything, we're actually buying into the system and, and being complicit. So, which perpetuates, which perpetuates all more of the same. Yeah. 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 So, you know, one of the things that I like about this model is, 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 and I don't mean this in any way other than it's just a really interesting description is it's simplicity. I mean, there, there isn't a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Right. On the thank you. A lot of moving parts underneath it. But. Tons of moving parts underneath. Yeah. But, um, but thank you for that because that is something that uh, I pride myself on is being able to take something that feels complex or unwieldy and really just like focus in on what are the things that are going to move the needle the fastest. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, um, is there anything that uh, you would like to have the, uh, uh, listeners of this episode actually paying some particular attention to that you're up to right now that we haven't touched on? Yeah, so um, 
Well, a couple things I'd love to touch on the Conscious Capitalism Bay Area chapter. Uh, if you're in the Bay Area, please come join us at an event. Come, our website is ccbayarea.org. And we also have monthly webinars. So you can be anywhere in the world, as you were when we did our interview a little while ago. Um, and you can join us from wherever you are and just kind of see what we're up to. Because it is our intention to be a driving force for conscious business in the starting in the Bay Area, but then rippling out into the world. And that's the exciting thing about living in the Bay Area is the whole world looks to what's the Bay Area doing? It's Sil what's Silicon Valley doing for what's next for business? Good. That's ccbayarea.org. Yes. Okay. Yep. Thank you. And, and, and your personal website, if people want to find out more about this, you know, the, the, the yep. uh, Building Brave Cultures uh, initiative, yeah, how can yes. they find out more about that? Yeah, so that is nextgenorgs.com or nextgenorganizations.com. Um, and they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com slash in slash Johanna Lyman. And that's J-O-H-A-N-N-A-L-Y-M-A-N. Beautiful, beautiful. My guest today has been Johanna Lyman. Um, and we have been looking at building Brave cultures, you know, through purpose-driven process, uh, wild innovation, and radical inclusion. And uh, as she mentioned, she is the head of, you know, the, the chapter president, I think it is, is yep. the formal title here, of Conscious Capitalism uh, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Joanna, I want to thank you so much for being a guest today. I have loved this conversation. And actually, I would like to be uh, in a position here to invite you back again. This is, I, I, I can continue this conversation oh, forever. I'm that was, shocked that we've gone 30 minutes already. I know. It went like that. So I, it would be an honor to come back. This uh, has been a ton that. of fun. Okay. All right, Blaine. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Uh, this is Blaine Bartlett. Uh, you've been listening to The Soul of uh, Business with Blaine Bartlett. You can find out more about the work I'm doing uh, by going to my website at blainebartlett.com. Um, and we have got a number of different resources available on that site. And you can find out more about me uh, on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, all of the regular places. I invite all of the listeners to uh, kind of spread the word here, uh, invite people to listen to this podcast and to, you know, to subscribe to the podcast, A Soul of Business with Blaine Barton. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.